This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. Today we have an exhilarating program in store for you. Perhaps you're familiar with military skiing commands like the 10th Light Division Alpine, or maybe you yourself have experienced the joy of skiing and are acquainted with the splendid ski equipment, resorts, and slopes found in almost every state in the United States and all around the globe. If you have an affinity for skiing or an interest in delving into its fascinating history, then this episode is tailor-made for you. Joining us today as our esteemed guest is Chairman Rick Moulton from the International Skiing History Association. I've eagerly anticipated this episode for quite some time because this is the first episode where we've had a guest from a historical association versus a historical society. You might ask why this difference is significant. It's because we always learn something new, and it's great. A historical society and a historical association are similar in that they're both organizations focused on preserving and promoting history. However, there's some key differences. Historic societies typically focus on the history of a particular place or region, while historical associations are more focused on a particular topic or subject in history. Historical societies often collect artifacts and documents related to the local history and open museums or historical sites for the public. Historical associations are more focused on research, publications, and educational programs related to their topic of interest. Historical societies tend to have a broader membership base that includes the general public. Historical associations usually have a more specialized membership of historians, researchers, and academics interested in their particular subject. Historical societies often rely more on donations, grants, and membership dues for funding, while historical associations may also generate revenue from publications, conferences, and programs for their members. So, in summary, historical societies focus more on preserving and showcasing local history for the general public, while historical associations focus more on promoting research and scholarship about a specialized historical topic among experts and academics in that field. 
Both play important roles in preserving and promoting different aspects of history. During my preparation for this episode, I discovered that skiing encompasses a captivating subject with a profound history. As someone who has never skied, there was much I didn't know about this activity, making it all the more rewarding to have the opportunity to converse with Rick, who is undoubtedly an expert in the field of skiing history. Skiing, with its multifaceted origins in hunting, military applications, and transportation, has played a significant role for millennia. Today, it embraces recreation and various sports, revealing a depth that surpasses initial impressions and eludes many individuals. My hope for this episode is that we can uncover these hidden facets of skiing just a little bit, allowing our listeners to gain a newfound appreciation for this remarkable pursuit. Moreover, I aspire to inspire our audience to consider joining the International Skiing History Association. Membership offers a host of advantages and benefits, including a regularly published magazine. Before we proceed, I want to take a moment to acknowledge Janet White, the Executive Director of the International Skiing History Association, and express my sincere gratitude for her assistance in arranging today's interview with Rick Moulton. Janet is an incredibly talented, experienced, and astute individual, and I am truly grateful for her invaluable support. Through her leadership, she has propelled the International Skiing History Association to make a substantial impact on a global scale. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, coming to you from Salt Lake City. This is the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we showcase interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, preservation, historical media creators, historical and genealogical societies throughout the United States. Thank you for tuning in. Our primary platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com. But you can also find us on nearly every podcast platform as well as most social media platforms. Wherever you choose to listen, I greatly appreciate your support through likes, comments, follows, or subscriptions. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. Let's drink some tea, some Twinies tea. Oh, hot and good. You can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Now let me introduce you all to Rick Moulton, starting with a brief biography. This is from rickmoulton.com. Rick Moulton has been an independent filmmaker since 1972. Rick Moulton's career began in the 1960s with the making of Freeform and Oceans surf movies made in Hawaii and California. He came back east with his wife, Melinda, and worked for Vermont Public Television in the 1970s. As an independent filmmaker in the early 80s, his film, Legends of America Skiing, won the Banff Mountain Film Festival and was nationally released on PBS. Rick has produced numerous productions for the ski industry. Other clients include IBM, the Orton Foundation, and NBC. Rick has extensive archival experience setting up the CARE collection for the New York Public Library, 
a film archive for the National Ski Hall of Fame, working with Dartmouth College Films, and most recently, the Lowell Thomas Collection. Rick's Dartmouth documentary, Passion for Snow, ran nationally on PBS and in 2014 was nominated for an Emmy. His web exhibit, Making a Legend, Lowell Thomas and Lawrence of Arabia, a Clio Creating History web exhibit, has won several awards and led to the making of his PBS-released film, Voice of America, Lowell Thomas and the Rise of Broadcast News. In addition, Rick has a long commitment to public service. He was elected to his town's select board for nine years, before chairing it for an additional three years. He was a founding member of the Chittenden County Rural Regional Planning Organization and helped merge it into the state's Metropolitan Planning Organization, where he served for 18 years. He has served on the Governor's Rail Council for over 20 years, first appointed by Governor Howard Dean and reappointed by the three consecutive administrations. Rick was twice elected as a trustee of the Mad River Glen Ski Area Shareholders Co-op. He's been on the New England Ski Museum's board for 30 years, was a founding member of the International Ski History Association, and served for 30 years, and continues as chairman of that board. For 10 years, he served on the board of the Vermont Ski Museum. Rick and Melinda, his wife and business partner, have lived for 50 years high in the Vermont hills on a meadow in a stone house that they built themselves. They have two grown children and four grandchildren. The belief that presenting stories from the past offer insights for a better future has guided the Moultons through 50 years of filmmaking and public service. Over these years, their service to community has enriched their appreciation of life and provided them with the palette of shared experiences to record stories which matter. Their films educate, enlighten, open minds, and provide beauty and purpose to the viewer. They believe that film preserves history and shines a light on truth, which in turn guides us with purpose to protect the planet and the people for future generations. And with that, let's bring Rick onto the program. Welcome to the program, Rick. I'm very honored to have you here. We'll be learning a lot today. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Sean. Uh, looking forward to this discussion of Aisha. How are you today? Pretty good. Today has been a busy day, but I'm trying to uh, keep at it. I know you're one of the busiest men on the planet. It's an honor to have you here, really. Well, it's probably a superlative I don't deserve, but, uh, you know, I am keeping at it. Where's the last place you skied and how did it go? Would have been Mad River Glen, the end of the season. And we had a remarkable spring where we got somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight feet of snow. It went really well. Fantastic. <laughs> it was spring. It was May. What can I say? Yeah, that's great. It's great to get out there. Now, I've never skied in my life. Never even been. No, I've been to uh, the one in California uh, up in the up in the hills, up in the mountains. I can't remember what. Squaw Valley. Oh, Squaw is Valley. In California. That's the go. one. I did ice right. skate there, but I didn't ski. Right, right. That would have very good ice skating. 
I was wondering if there's a place on the planet where the snow never melts and skiing is done year round. Have you ever skied in a place like that? Well, there's many places like that. And most of them are glaciers. But we have some locations in this country where the snow never melts. And uh, Mount Hood in um, Oregon would be one. I have a grandchild that was there earlier this summer, and she's going again next week. All kinds of training camps are set up there, and they're training for um, next year's uh, ski racing season. Fantastic. Now, is it is it a thing to try to ski every ski slope on the planet as a, as a hardcore skier? There are many distinctions about every ski slope on the planet. You know, every continent would be one. Peaks over a certain altitude would be another. And certainly there's a holy grail of skiing peaks that have never been skied. Then there are ski resorts, and there are people who have set out to ski at, at all the major ski resorts. There are so many mom-and-pop operations exist, many less than there were, say, 10 or even 20 years ago. And there has been a real consolidation of ski areas. But people do and accomplish all of these goals, pursuing the sport all over the world. Fantastic. I never thought about that, that there would be slopes that have not been skied yet. Very interesting. I'd like to bring our audience up to speed a bit. And in doing so, I'd like to start with the basics for the listeners, because I think they'll be amazed, as I was when I was doing the, the research for this program, about the variety of skiing. What, what are the main types of skiing? Well, there's Nordic skiing and there's Alpine skiing. Alpine skiing is downhill, hence Alps, where it was uh, developed. The grandfather of that kind of skiing is Nordic skiing, which originated really in the Nordic or Scandinavian countries. And for sport, we have ski jumping. But before that was cross-country, just getting around, using skis as locomotion to go from point A to point B, or for hunting. And out of that skiing of necessity grew skiing for sport. And ski jumping began sometime around 1850 and uh, evolved from there. And ironically, because of the Scandinavian immigration to America, all the distance records for ski jumping from about 1900 to 1920 were set in America because so many champions, champion ski jumpers from Norway and from Sweden and Finland had emigrated over here and were working in the lumber industry and the mining industries out west. Wow, that's quite something. I didn't know this before, and I think it's so interesting that skiing can be traced back to prehistoric times. There's cave paintings, as I understand it, in Scandinavia and rock carvings in northern Russia depicting early forms of skiing, suggesting that it was used as a means of transportation and hunting in snowy conditions. Can you give us the Cliff Notes version of the history of skiing? I think that it is prehistoric, as you note, and goes way back in time. I think that there are different locations where this seems to have emerged. As far away as Manchuria, up in Siberia, and right on through to the Scandinavian countries. And how that emigration of skiers went 
whether it followed glacial melting or how it evolved, is still a bit of a mystery. Various archaeological sites have unearthed actual chunks of skis or whole skis. And then at the same time, uh, you have rock art, which shows you know, primitive stick figures on skis chasing animals. So it's a, an ancient usage of a wooden device on your feet to float on top of snow. And it goes way back, way back in time. And then there's a whole separate history, which is much more traceable and only a few hundred, 300 years old of use of uh, skis in the military. And so that's a quick thumbnail sketch. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rick. I mean, I'm picturing in my mind like cavemen or Neanderthals or some primitive type of man out, out hunting mammoths with their skis on. That's just amazing. What specific periods or regions or aspects of skiing's history do you find particularly fascinating? Well, for me, the evolution of ski sport has the particular interest around alpine skiing. Uh, This is something that's happened shortly before I was born. I say shortly, uh, roughly uh, 30 years before I was born. But uh, with the advent of World War I, the European mountain communities faced off against each other. France and Austria and Italy uh, were all, all had uh, ski troops in the thousands that were fighting each other and on skis. So this created a boom in manufacturing skis and a whole evolution of technique of how to get around on skis and how to be proficient at going downhill. So I think the coming out of World War One, you really had this birth of alpine skiing as a mass sport. When we say a mass sport, it's really located in the Alps. It's located in uh, those countries I just mentioned, uh, Germany. And it emigrates or seeps over to this side of the Atlantic. And That whole evolution I find utterly fascinating. And I made a movie about skiing in the 1930s called Legends of American Skiing. Great. Is that available somewhere? Sure. I think you can Google that and find it or go to my website, rickmoulton.com, and it's available streaming there for free. Oh, fantastic. I will watch that. That's great. Thank you for that. What is the International Skiing History Association, and what is its history? Well, the International Ski History Association was formed around 1991 by a man named Mason Beakley, who had a real interest in skiing history. And Mason had the world's foremost collection of ski art and books. And he wanted to share that passion he had for collecting it with other like-minded people. So he formed the International Ski History Association and decided to have a yearly gathering uh, once every winter at a different location, a different ski area around the world. And he uh, set up a board of very notable skiers, everyone from Jean-Claude Keeley to Stein Erickson, and gathered people around the idea of ski history and put out a newsletter. Well, over the years, this newsletter has evolved into a beautiful color magazine, Skiing History Magazine, 
It's available digitally for a nominal fee at our website, skeenhistory.org. And Mason died oh, around 2004, and the organization has continued in his lieu. And uh, the magazine has grown into this wonderful color production filled with articles from great ski journalists. And we have a membership of uh, 3,000 members and a wonderful website with probably the best digital collection of ski books and interviews, oral histories, and uh, constantly showing the latest magazine and showing our awards that we give every year and, and all the kinds of things that are reasons for joining AISHA, the International Ski History Association. Yeah, it's a beautiful magazine. It's a beautiful website. And I believe you can access digitized copies of the magazine if you're a member from the website, right? Right. Or you can get a, a digital subscription, I think, for $12 or something like that. Okay. Which will enable you to uh, see it there on the website or log in anytime and see it. Now, Seth Meza is the president of the organization, right? Correct. And uh, also our senior editor. Seth has had a long, distinguished career with Ski Magazine and published several books that went on to found the first digital uh, ski magazine. And he also has been an expert on skis, ski binding, ski equipment, has traveled uh, literally around the world going to ski factories and had a long association. When I say long, we're talking 40-year career uh, in uh, ski journalism. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'd like to provide the audience with the contact information for the International Skiing History Association. On the web, you can find them at skiinghistory.org. They're on Facebook, of course, Skiing History. They're on YouTube as the International Skiing History Association. You can email them using the address info at skiinghistory.org. You can contact Rick Moulton, rick at rickmoulton.com. And I encourage you to visit his website. Can you please provide the audience with an overview of the variety of your membership and the mission and objectives of your association? Well, we are truly an international organization with board members from Australia, New Zealand, Austria, the UK, and Switzerland, and then Canada and uh, the United States. We have a membership that spans that same kind of uh, any place uh, in the world where there's snow, I think we have members from. And people chime in on the Facebook page when anything comes up, share uh, different thoughts. We get remarkable feedback from our readership and our letters. And everything that we do is, is bona fide history. Uh, we, it's well-documented, well-sourced. And we also love to feed any academic work that's being done. And uh, on top of that, we have our awards, the AISHA awards, which are given every spring for any works during the previous year that have celebrated or broken new ground uh, about skiing history. Yeah, you've got all kinds of awards. There's like 12 or more of them. Well, uh, that's true for, for different things, uh, local histories, uh, something that impacts uh, the, the whole world of skiing. Uh, 
So they're all named after Nordic gods. So there's the Skadi Award, there's the Euler Award, there's the Baldor Awards for cultural things, and uh, then film awards. And we also give awards for websites. So it's always fun to see the fresh crop of material coming in. And I think because so many boomers took up the sport of skiing, that there's this incredible influx and interest in the sports history and in documenting it. Yep, fantastic. Can you tell us a couple of funny or interesting stories from your association's history? Well, you know, as I say, we've had our gatherings since 1991. That's uh, 32 years of getting together. And there have been uh, plenty of incidences that have made us all laugh. And certainly one might be uh, Seth Beja, who's been a certified ski instructor for some 40 years, saying to a group, including myself, let's go, and pushing off in a snowy top of a mountain situation where it's a total whiteout, you can't see anything, and (laughs) he didn't realize he was standing on the 12-foot cliff. And so he pushed off to say, follow me, went right off the cliff, and ended up on his head and came up uh, bubbling snow, and everybody got a big uh, kick out of that, and he bought us all a beer afterwards. (laughs) That's good. Rick, it's time for us to take a break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. Hey there, thrill seekers and adventure enthusiasts. Do you remember that feeling of pure wonder when you first discovered the fascinating history of skiing? Well, brace yourself, because the International Skiing History Association is here to bring that excitement back to life. Step into the past and witness the rich legacy of skiing and snow sports with ISHA. The mission is simple, to preserve, promote, and research the captivating history of skiing. And we need your help to keep the slopes of history alive. Picture yourself racing down the mountains, gliding through time as we document and celebrate the heritage of skiing across the globe. ISHA is all about sharing the passion and magic of those snowy moments with the world. So, how can you be part of this epic action? It's easy. Just support the International Skiing History Association by visiting www.skiinghistory.org. You'll unlock the gateway to a treasure trove of knowledge and fascinating stories about the pioneers of skiing. But wait, there's more. Become a member today and you'll gain exclusive access to a world of benefits from the Insider Skiing History Magazine and events to thrilling ski history trips. Plus, every contribution you make goes directly towards preserving and promoting the incredible legacy of skiing. Join the movement that's writing the history of the slopes. 
Embrace the spirit of adventure and leave your mark on skiing history. Donate now and become a proud member of the International Skiing History Association. Visit www.skiinghistory.org for more information and be part of this valuable nonprofit organization. Together, let's keep the thrill of skiing alive and soaring for generations to come. The International Skiing History Association. They're writing the history of the slopes. It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story. On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very honored to be joined by author Marion B. Wood. Marion Burke Wood is an experienced genealogy speaker, an active genealogy blogger, and the author of the best-selling genealogy book, Planning a Future for Your Family's Past. Her genealogy blog is climbingmyfamilytree.blogspot.com, and she tweets about genealogy from at Marion B. Wood. Marion's special areas of interest are helping people save, curate, and share family history and artifacts. Please join us in welcoming Ms. Marion B. Wood. Marion, welcome to the program. First of all, I'd like to say how awesome your book is. The book's title, Planning a Future for Your Family's Past, is a perfect name for it, and it's a perfect fit for me, and really, for any family historian who is continually trying to stay organized and thinking about how to make sure the work we've been doing isn't lost. I'm going to dive right in here. What motivated you to write the book? Well, thank you for having me. I started writing this book because I had experience with gathering so much research and finally captioning so many photos and realizing if I didn't make a plan for the future, someday I was going to join my ancestors and nobody would know what all this stuff is or what to do with it. And when I went to genealogy society meetings, other folks told me they were grappling with the same situation. So I decided to document my adventures in figuring out how to organize things, get them ready, winnow out things I didn't need to pass to the generations that were going to come, and then make my genealogical will. Fantastic. How can we convey how it can help a family historian? Well, whether you're experienced or you're just starting out in genealogy, you probably have gathered a few things about your family. So I created what I call the PASS process. P stands for prepare by organizing and analyzing. And if you are starting from scratch, this is a great book to help you figure out how to organize and arrange and store what you're going to be collecting. The second step in the past process is to allocate ownership. What I mean by that is not everything has to be in my hands. I realized in most recent years that I could curate my collection the way a museum curator works, because sometimes things could be in somebody else's hand and still be safe. That was the second step. The third step, which is extremely important, is to set up a written genealogical will so that my heirs know what to do with this collection when, in the far future, I join my ancestors. And so in the book, I talk about how to write down instructions 
so that people know what we want. Step four can be done at any time in the process. That's sharing family history now. Because as you know, Sean, the more we can tell people now about our ancestors, the more interest we can get in our family history. And just as important, we're making sure that other people are aware that our ancestors had lives and here's what they looked like and who were they. And that's part of our goal for genealogy, right? You bet. I just love the way your book is organized. I picked it up. I was able to make progress immediately and I was able to understand the past process because it's so well organized for the reader. One of the things I wanted to do was give people the idea that everything doesn't have to be done on day one, two, or three. Life by the inch is a cinch and life by the yard is hard. So let's do it one little piece at a time. That's why I created a process, not a bunch of ideas. The process helps us feel in control and not overwhelmed. Well, you know, I read the second edition, and I really like that this is the second edition of the book. And I'd like to thank you for spending the time to add and revise the information contained in the book. This really kept it fresh. At the beginning of the book, you discussed the changes made in the second edition, which was great. Are you planning to keep updating the book with future editions as things change? That's a very big possibility. The reason I wrote the second edition is because I had feedback from readers and from people in genealogy groups when I would go to meetings. And they would say, your book is very helpful, but I don't have any clear heirs from my family history. What do I do in that case? So I took a look at the book and reorganized it and created an entire chapter about what you might want to try if you have no obvious heirs. That feedback was so extremely helpful that I'm going to keep listening to readers. If people have more ideas or questions, I might write a third edition to answer those questions. That would be great. I hope the book does evolve in that way. The past process, for me anyway, it was a call to action. And not all at once, not in a rush, but as you said, life by inch is a cinch, life by the yard is hard. What advice can you give listeners on how to get started in staying motivated using PASS? My advice is to pick a favorite ancestor or a particular surname or family and just focus. So, for example, you might want to pick your father's family or just your father and his family. Take a look at what you know about him. See if you can then decide what's the best way for you to have access to all the materials you've collected, whether it's photos, research, original documents, certificates and put them into an arrangement that allows you to put your hands on anything you want to know at any time. Now, during this process, you may actually find clues because every time you touch a piece of paper or look at a photo, something new might jump out at you that you didn't notice in the past. In that case, those would be bright, shiny objects that I suggest you make a note about. Don't stop your organizational method but make a note reminding yourself to go back and follow up on that clue. Because the idea of leaving your family history to the future folks isn't just about doing that. It's also about finding out new insights, making new connections. And so research is not going to stop just because you're putting things into a file folder or into an archival box. On the contrary, you're going to find some new clues, as I did every time I touched a piece of paper. Yeah, good point. Very good point. So I got my copy of the book off Amazon. Is that the best place to get a copy of the book? If you want an ebook, you can only buy it from Amazon in the US, the UK, and Canada. 
But if you want a paperback, it isn't only on Amazon. The paperback is also available from AmericanAncestors.org in their bookstore and online. And the Newberry Library Bookstore in Chicago has it in their bookstore and online. So I hope you'll go looking for it. Fantastic. I'd like to thank you, Marion, very much for your time and for your book. Thank you for having me, and I do appreciate it. And everyone, please start making plans now for the future of your family history. We don't want these important documents and photos to end up in a yard sale, or worse, in the recycle bin. That would be terrible. Listeners, you can pick up a copy of this excellent book, and I hope you do. It has real practical advice and prescriptive directions on how to tackle the necessary tasks to organize, curate, preserve, and share your family history. Thank you, Marion, for being a guest on Book Shorts. You come back anytime, okay? Thank you, Sean. All right, fantastic. It's a great book. See ya. Bye-bye. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. We're back to Preservation Oaks. I'm Sean Thomas Radcliffe, your host, and joining us today is Chairman Rick Moulton from the International Skiing History Association. Let's continue right where we left off. I'd like to thank you, Rick, for joining us and sharing insights about your association, the impactful work you're involved in, and the fascinating history of skiing. My pleasure. And, you know, I can't encourage people uh, (laughs) enough to jump in and see what we're all about and go to our website. What are some of the main activities and initiatives undertaken by the International Skiing History Association to document and preserve skiing's rich history? Well, I think one of the key words there, we touched on a lot of the services that the organization offers, but um, one of the key words that you've just said is is to preserve the history. And besides writing our articles, which are available online, you can go back through all of the magazine's uh, iterations and issues. Our digitization of different collections, for example, all the ski magazines like Ski and Skiing have had their entire contents digitized. And uh, that's available on our website. The American Ski Annuals, another great source, has been digitized. So, you know, that's some of the things that the organization has done to further and enable research, as well as preserve the story, the history of. Now, we do not have a physical structure someplace, so we don't have the cost of bricks and mortar. Our collection is digital, and We try to do an awful lot with the printed word, as I said, uh, celebrating what's being created out there in our awards program. you have any awards for younger folks to try to inspire future generations of skiers about the sports history and traditions? Well, you know, we try and encourage a younger readership and membership. I would have to confess that our average age is somewhere in the mid-60s of members, uh, age-wise, but we're always trying to encourage younger members, and, and that's one of the reasons we offer the digital membership, which is only 12 bucks, 
versus the print membership where you're receiving the magazine in the in the mail. But on top of that, I think that the way the war, awards are structured, giving a an award to someone who creates a book about a local ski area or a local story about skiing encourages people to participate and, and get out there and document these things. And we try to do that encouragement through recognition. So, you know, we do give these awards specifically to encourage people to write. And whether it's a younger person or an older person uh, really doesn't matter much to us. Although, you know, we certainly need to pick up new members as the aging generation passes. Yes, sir. They got to get in there. They got to study it. They got to write articles. And I understand you pay for written articles. Oh, sure. Uh, we pay the going uh, rate for magazine articles. You know, that's something you can contact Seth about or write us at info uh, org, And um, we'd be happy to respond to ideas that people have for uh, magazine articles. We're always on the hunt for that and for writers. Right. What kind of funding model supports the association? What are your funding goals this year? Well, we uh, want to maintain our membership. Uh, and certainly one of the legs, if it's a three-legged stool, would be our membership and the dues that come in from that. And then we like to think that our awards banquet breaks even. <laughs> we always seem to be subsidizing that. We have a modest endowment. And we are always, with our hands out, being what we consider an important and worthy charity, a 501c3. So we take tax-deductible contributions. And our subscribers and friends have been very generous. And that really is a solid second leg of our stool. And then we're always on the lookout for grants for work that we might be doing. Say it's a... Right. Um, biography of skiing literature, or maybe it's a um, digitization program for an important resource like the British Ski Yearbook or something like that. So grants would be another leg of the stool. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Now, what types of fundraising activities or opportunities does your association offer? Do you do appearances at major ski events around the world to fundraise? Well, no, but uh, our Skiing History Week, which is our gathering held yearly uh, that the awards take place at, is married right now to the National Ski Hall of Fame in Ishpeming. And they come with us on the road to the various uh, locations once a year. And at that, there is a series of events. Uh, this year, we're going to be gathering Olympians at the Olympic Park in Salt Lake, or actually it's in Park City. And at, at Park City in Utah, we will be uh, showcasing the newest, uh, greatest awards. Uh, all these Olympians will be coming together. And that's our yearly event. And it, it moves around uh, the country every year. Okay, fantastic. Now, I know that people can join as a member from your website. Are there membership levels? You know, I just mentioned the digital membership versus a, just a regular membership. Yeah. A regular membership is $50 and a uh, digital membership is $12. Those really are the two. But then, you know, if we 
are encouraging participation, say, from um, manufacturers, because certainly uh, the contributions that manufacturers in the ski industry give to the skiing history magazine make up the sizable percentage of our yearly income. And and so those are suggested yearly contributions of between uh, $1,000 and $5,000. And we have a lot of corporate sponsors. And we offer different levels. You know, it's the world champion uh, membership. It's the World Cup membership. It's the gold or silver membership. And someone picked up a copy of Ski History. They can see how that's broken out. Oh, great. Great. Can you discuss any recent advancements or innovation in skiing equipment or techniques that the International Skiing Association has been involved in or supported? Well, we don't have an R&D section. What we do is we cover those kinds of innovations and changes. And certainly in equipment, for example, the, the growth in the width of a ski. You know, it started fairly narrow and it's gotten very wide. And at the same time, the length of skis has come down. So uh, this has made skiing much easier and much more of a uh, mass participated sport at a level that wasn't uh, really possible uh, 20 years ago. We, we cover that kind of thing and, and write about it extensively and, uh, you know, any other innovations that are going on. Fantastic. Skiing is such a fascinating recreational activity and I'm learning a lot now. Thank you. How did the COVID-19 pandemic affect skiing? Well, it limited people's travel. I think that's a huge factor. And then uh, at ski areas, people didn't go in for apres ski to sit together in front of a warm fire. You know, they stayed outside if they were skiing. If you were coming into an area to get on a lift, you'd have to pull up a mat. So it put a big damper, I think, on skiing like it did everything else. And you had to be in uh, living in a proximity where you could just drive to the ski area. And the ski area's labor pool shrank dramatically. What they were able to maintain with personnel shrunk. So it was a real impact on the skiing industry from COVID. What historical impacts has the skiing sport and industry caused across the world? Well, conviviality is certainly one thing. And skiing knows no borders. And that makes skiing a fellowship that People from all over the world can participate in and share a sense of belonging to. And certainly there's this uh, incredible sense of values that comes from being out in the world of nature in the winter. And, you know, how blessed are we to be able to actually have a mechanical convenience to take us to the top of mountains, which is a tough place to get to. Now, at the same time, backcountry skiing has exploded. And we celebrate that. And that's going back to the origins of alpine skiing, where every foot that you came down, you had to climb for. And so we're all about seeing this resurgence of people who don't want to be in a uh, mechanicalized environment of skiing, where there's lots of skiers. They want to be out there in nature by themselves, experiencing it firsthand. And all that kinds of equipment that began the sport, skins, which used to be seal skins, are now made out of a synthetic product. And 
easily attached, where they had to have a special grease to attach them to the bottom of skis. And look at the lightness of backcountry equipment that's available for actually going up and winter camping. So the reinvented form of pioneering on skis has um, made that much more accessible to greater numbers of people. And then the ski resorts themselves are incredibly uh, comfortable to participate in the sport at. I mean, here at uh, Deer Valley, heck, you have valet service taking your skis and boots up to the uh, lodge as you pull up. Uh, I mean, so you have that extreme versus the guy who really wants to, you know, climb still for every foot that he skis is not going to see anybody all day as he's up in the mountains and comes down solo. I guess I would encourage people not to go solo, but to have partners out there. Avalanches are big deals in the West, especially. Um, And with the changing climate, uh, you know, we have more avalanches, I think bigger storms. And so uh, that's something you have to be aware of. But now we have peeps, which are directional finders for people that get buried and inflatable packs that build an air bubble around you if you get caught in an avalanche. There are these things as long as people take advantage of the equipment and uh, bring a shovel when they go out of bounds. But, you know, for the uh, average skier, it's uh, beautiful lifts. I mean, some of the uh, chairlifts have heated seats these days. And there's the other kind of the mechanical lift uh, where I ski all the time at Mad River Glen. There's um, the original single chairlift with just one person rides on that chair to the top of the mountain. And very limited uh, number of people coming down because very limited number of people went up. Opposite that would be a six-pack chair, which holds six people, or gondolas that hold 50 people. Oh, wow. So, you know, there's this wide variety of skiing lifts out there and uh, ways that people pursue coming downhill or enjoying alpine skiing. Well, you mentioned that ISHA does not have a physical location, and I think that's fantastic because of your role. There's board members all over the world, as you mentioned. Do you guys still use volunteers, and do you have volunteer opportunities for members and the public? Only uh, The only thing that jumps out in my mind is the Skiing History Week, uh, our gathering where, you know, we try and have a host committee of local people wherever we're going who can uh, augment the reception desk and the hotel and help us touring people and getting people to enjoy the most out of the, the host mountain and that kind of thing. So that's really where we draw in volunteers. Okay, thank you. Can you tell the audience about any current initiatives or needs of the association that you want the people to know about and support? Well, we always ask people to tell us about any works of for skiing history. So our awards are bringing everything in that's being written or being created on the web. And you know, we're trying to serve a community. So the more communication we can have within the community, the better. And so we love to hear from people and tell us what they're doing. And I guess the only other thing I would uh, expand upon is that having a patron support the awards and get their name associated with the awards is something that we hold out there so that they would not only be the International Ski History Awards, the ISHA Awards, they would be the um, 
X Aisha Awards, mm. X being whoever the sponsoring identity would be. So uh, we're looking for a sponsor for our awards. Okay, thank you. Rick, I just want to express my gratitude for the valuable time you've spent with us today. It's been an incredibly enriching experience for me, and I've learned a good deal and thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Meeting you has been a genuine pleasure, and I'm truly amazed by the immense impact your association has on the ski community and its members. I want to thank you so much. Thanks for having us. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Chairman Rick Moulton from the International Skiing History Association. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. all skiing enthusiasts. Embark on a thrilling journey through the fascinating world of skiing history with the esteemed International Skiing History Association. Unleash the power of the past and bring skiing history alive for you and your loved ones. Discover captivating tales of triumph, innovation, and legendary slopes that shape the sport we cherish today. For an unparalleled experience, simply visit www.skiinghistory.org and delve into the remarkable work of this invaluable nonprofit organization. Your generous donations and membership support will ensure that skiing history continues to thrive and inspire generations to come. Don't miss this chance to be a part of something extraordinary. Become a member today and unlock the multitude of exclusive benefits that await you. So, seize the opportunity and make history with Aisha. Join the International Skiing History Association now. Visit www.skiinghistory.org for more information. Transmission intercepted. We interrupt. We interrupt. We interrupt your regularly scheduled programming. This is Mike Waddell, the Vice President of the Muscatine County Genealogical Society, and you're listening to Sean Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Melody Lager, President of the Heartland Museum, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. Step into the past with Preservation Oaks. Voyage with us every two weeks for another episode that brings history and your community alive. Join us on a journey with the finest guests from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies. We'll share the best information about these core societal organizations. You'll learn about the great work they do and why you can feel good volunteering and supporting them. Join us wherever you get your podcasts and then follow, comment, like, and listen. There are many things in the history of this country that you have never seen nor heard. Introducing Preservation Oaks, with new unique episodes featuring professional guests from across the country, telling unique true tales of the past that only they know.
This podcast will bring you incredible knowledge and an appreciation of every area of our country. You'll hear history with a clarity and vividness that until now were only in your fantasies. The Preservation Oaks podcast. It will alter your view of the world. Listen at preservationoaks.podbean.com. This is Debbie Burgess, president of the Onega Historical Society, and I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Dale Brainley, vice president of Douglas County Historical Society, and I enjoy being a guest on Preservation Oaks with Sean Radcliffe. I am General Matto Van Du Maximanus from the planet you refer to as BD 114672C. I am the legate of the second AB Picturis B region, governor of the approaches to NU Octantis AB, interplanetary consul, commander of the legions of AB Picturis A, 91 Aquari B, Mulionis B, and Gamma Library B, and I listen to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. Nine out of ten historians agree, Preservation Oaks is the best podcast on the internet. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. I'm still getting over COVID, so my voice is kind of stuffy on this episode. Sorry about that, but I'm getting better every day. It was such a pleasure to chat with Rick Moulton, the chairman of the International Skiing History Association. Rick Moulton is a fountain of knowledge about skiing, an independent filmmaker, and you can watch one of his award-winning movies entitled Legends of American Skiing on rickmoulton.com. Rick has spent his lifetime in public service in Chittenden County, Vermont. He and his wife are aligned with the values of Preservation Oaks. They believe that presenting stories from the past offer insights for a better future. Rick was kind enough to help us understand some of the history of skiing. What intrigues him about the history of skiing is the evolution of the ski sport and alpine skiing. I've learned that skiing knows no borders, and that it's an international recreation and sport. Skiing is wonderful for people's conviviality and health, in addition to just being fun. People who ski have a sense of belonging to a community who loves skiing and the value of experiencing nature firsthand. The International Skiing History Association, also known as AISHA, was founded in 1991 by Mason Beakley, who amassed what is believed to be the world's largest private collection of ski books and art. The collection opened to the public for the first time in December 2003 in a newly created museum in Mammoth Lakes, California. The founding of Aisha and the idea for a magazine of ski history came from Mason Beakley's belief that by the 1980s, the need for a rational and complete record of American skiing history had reached the tipping point. 
You can join the International Skiing History Association for $12 for a digital membership or $50 for a membership that includes the print version of Skiing History Magazine. AISHA has an excellent website with a lot of great skiing history content. The organization has an annual awards ceremony where awards are presented to recognize individual contributions to skiing history in film, books, articles, and more. So if you're an academic historian doing research into skiing history, or if you're a writer who can write well-sourced historical articles about skiing and or skiing locations, please connect with Aisha. The most pressing priority of the International Skiing History Association at this time is to attract more corporate sponsors and members. So, join up and help support them today. The association is supported by membership dues, tax-deductible donations, endowments, and grants. Rick reviewed the funding and fundraising particulars of the association so you know where the funds are going and what the priorities are. Please help support the International Skiing History Association today. By joining, you'll receive some great benefits to membership, including the Skiing History Week annual event and the Skiing History Magazine. At the next Skiing History Week, Aisha is bringing together skiing Olympians. It should be a marvelous event. Now you can contact the association on the web at skiinghistory.org or they're on Facebook at Skiing History. You can find them on YouTube, International Skiing History Association. You can email them, info at skiinghistory.org or rick at rickmolton.com. Now, if questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the association. If you're a listener who is thrilled with the mission of the association and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting them. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the association is to the skiing community and what kinds of excellent benefits they have to offer their members. The International Skiing History Association is truly one of our preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Scott Holmes, Cymbal Bird, Jay Blanks, Air Family, Crazy Tunes, and 331. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks. And until then, keep on giving and keep on living the good life.